Hey, this is Dave. I want to give a quick intro to this podcast because the topic is a little unique. In preparation for transforming an organization to Agile or implementing some other kind of large-scale change, many companies will hire a third party to come in and assess how they're currently working, define what the change would entail, and then make some recommendations about how to go about it. And this is work that's usually done by a large consulting company. It can take anywhere from a few months to a few years. Once the recommendation is delivered, it's usually up to some other outside company to come in and implement the change. George Schlitz is somebody who spent a lot of time leading those implementation efforts. And along the way, he's learned a lot about what a company can do to set itself up for success when they engage with those third-party companies that come in and figure out the how. And he's also learned a lot about what a company can do to set itself up for, I guess the best way to say it is, a really good learning experience. Um, so if you're working in an organization that's engaged a big consulting company to help you figure out the how, there's definitely stuff in this interview that's going to be helpful for you. And if you work uh, for people who are considering bringing in one of those big companies to help you figure out the how, it might be a good idea to ask them to listen to this as well. So that's it. Uh, thanks for listening. I hope you get value out of this podcast. I have a lot of fun doing them. Uh, and here we go. Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to The Reluctant Agilist. I'm very excited that George Schlitz is here today. George, thank you for taking time out of your morning. My pleasure, Dave. Looking forward to it. Um, so I don't know. I'm assuming people know who you are, but just in case, could you introduce yourselves and then I'll offer my, I'm going to climb on the back of whatever you say here, but could you tell these people who you are and what you do? Sure. My name is George Schlitz. I am a uh, independent coach and consultant. I've been uh, working in uh, the, I suppose, the agile and lean transformation space for over 20 years now. Uh, let's see, I started a uh, coaching and consulting company uh, during the early days of the agile movement called Big Visible Solutions, uh, which grew to be a great uh, transformation company, not just an agile company. Um, we sold that company to uh, a larger consultancy and eventually Accenture, uh, which is where I most recently was. I was a managing director at Accenture and lead for global lead for Accenture's business agility um, practice. Uh, I just recently left uh, to go off on my own and take my work uh, to clients directly uh, in some of the things we're talking about today. All right. Cool. Thank you. So I want to I say some things about George. When I dragged myself out of the waterfall and went to my first Agile event, it was the Scrum Gathering in Chicago, I think it was 2009 or 2008. And the first three people I met were Jim Condiff and George and Giora. And I later got to work at Big Visible. And it is one of the highlights of my career. I feel like all of us still bleed blue and green, even though we work other places. And uh, it's a great, I don't know, just a really cool moment in time, a great thing to be a part of with just amazingly brilliant people. So thank you, George, for that experience. My, my pleasure. I love hearing about that. Uh, I, I felt the same way. It was, it was one of those experiences and one of those companies that you usually only read about. And we, we, we did, we had some great people and it was incredible culture. So yeah, um, more of that in the future. All right. So let's talk about this. We have some things we want to talk about. George is in pursuit of solving a problem. He's fallen in love with the problem so deeply that he's, this is his thing now. 
And how are you, how do you describe this problem? I mean, is it a problem or is it just a curiosity? Uh, I guess it's a bit of both. I think okay. there are a bunch of problems hidden under this topic. Um, and those problems are the ones I'm really passionate about. Okay. Um, I've seen many times over the last 20 years as people are introducing things like agility, like digital transformation, they're all, you know, aspiring to be very different than they are now, especially big traditional companies. And, uh, you know, that, that, that problem is, uh, going about that transformation in, in, in an old school way in the, in the way we used to deal with change and making it very, very big, um, and the challenges associated with that, I think there are different ways that I'm exploring now. Okay. So, so just to sort of frame this up, if, if people are working, if you're working at an organization that's considering an agile transformation or some other sort mm -hmm. of big organizational change, one of the things that a lot of companies do is they bring in big consulting houses to help them figure out what they're going to do. And then they eventually hire other organizations to do the work of implementing the change. Um, and I'm trying to think of a polite way to say it. I think maybe that the way that they approach the interaction with the, with the big consulting company does not position them for success. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. I think that the nature of those engagements, the way, not just the way they approach that company, but also the nature of the engagement and how they're designed and the things that come out of them, uh, Let's let's just say leave them with a lot of surprises. Um, okay. Okay. So I'm I'm somebody who works at a big organization, um, a large organization, and we're about to embark on whether it's agile transformation or some other massive organizational change. Um, I don't want to start just like turning the gears and levers and seeing what happens. I want to make sure we set ourselves up right. So one of the paths that many of these companies take is to reach out for help. And they reach out to the safest people they can think of. Yeah, they do. And, and uh, you know, the, the safest places to go for, for this sort of strategic advice are the, the large management consultancies, the ones who do strate uh, strategy work. And, um, and uh, they're, they are very qualified and, and they do have that experience uh, to make sense of, of, of uh, changes in the market, changes uh, in uh, big trends, uh, like are going on now, most companies are experiencing the need to change in significant ways. Yeah. Things like agile and lean and, and, uh, technologies like cloud and, and business platformization. Agility. Business agility is a, is more of a, an organizational and, and, and process related, you know, concept. The, the, all of these trends are, are parts of that answer for sure. The real fundamental point is that most big companies have to change in, in big ways. It makes sense for any company, especially a big one, to want to, to want to understand that, understand that they do have a reason for it and have a good strategy for achieving it. Um, that's why it does make sense to go to those folks to, to see what the best thinking is, to see what, what's working in other places and come up with a well-thought-out recommendation for the future op model, for uh, you know, the, the, the organizational resizing and, and redesign that they might get into. So yeah. logic, it makes a whole lot of sense in some ways. Okay. So I want to talk about in a few minutes about where it can go sideways, but yeah, but first, I mean, the other options are basically they're going to figure it out on their own, which is going to take way longer and be way more expensive and disruptive for their organization, or they're going to hire some tiny firm 
to come in and take nibbles at it. Right. Right. And uh, speaking as a former owner of a company that did the latter all the time. Yeah. Uh, I know the challenges and we, we work together doing these sort of things. So we, yeah. and we've done, we've done a little bit of all these things actually, but, uh, but that nibble one is interesting. You can create little pockets of transformation, but eventually they get squashed by the bigger cult- culture and the bigger organizational system around it. So that doesn't work either. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the thing. I mean, to me, like coming to grips with the fact that those big organizational structures, it's like they have an immune system. And you can go in there as a small firm and carve out these little pockets, like you said, but the antibodies of traditional and waterfall are going to come and attack the change until it eradicates it. Little by That's little. right. And, and actually, uh, though I've, I've, I've had my time of poking fun at the waterfall, um, it's actually about any existing system. Yeah. So, you know, if it, 10, 15 years from now, we might say that all these agile guys are preventing us from changing to the new thing. Uh, I bet that's going to happen because I this hope is happening that happens. time and time again. That would be awesome. <laughs> Me, too. Me too. Okay. I, and I hope I'm not the one defending, uh, defending the, the old way at that time. Well, I still think that there's a lot of validity in, in Waterfall in certain contexts. But the thing that's yeah. impressive about it is it is strong. Oh, uh, yeah. It's a powerful thing. And it's got the ability to fight off a lot of uh, challengers. So, yeah, and this is one of the things, one of the two things I'm going to be working on a whole lot is expanding upon why that occurs. Okay. It's not about the waterfall per se, but the, our organizations, the way we're structured, the processes, the governance, the belief system of the managers, uh, yeah. there's so much that's been designed into our organizations around that, the waterfall way of thinking, that that stuff just winds up being really difficult um, to change all of it. And, and it is why there's massive amounts of change needed. This, it is why the transformation word has become used, whether it's used effectively or not, or properly is another story, but it is transformation that's needed. Um, not just small change. So, so if the problem that they, we were changing before was we need predictability, we need control, we need to be able to, you know, take farmers and, and have them build ships within a couple of weeks and, and all the things that that old way of working brought us, the gifts that it gave us, what problem are we solving now? Yeah. And I think there is, um, there's a lot available now of reading and, and other things on, on this topic. Um, to me, it's, uh, it's about adaptability. Okay. Um, it's about, uh, and the, the, you mentioned business agility, that, that, yeah. that area of, of work is is doing a lot in this space. Like what is it, what's needed of the businesses of tomorrow? And you see okay. it coming from actually at this, a super interesting thing to me is that the same conclusions are being arrived at from many, many different areas. Yeah. From the design world with design thinking, from the agile world with business agility and complexity. And, and uh, from, you see pretty much in every industry, actually every industry I can think of is dealing with disruption and dealing with change so much um, that they're all coming to the same conclusion that it's really adaptability, adaptiveness that's needed from the business, um, from any business. And that means a whole lot of things underneath the covers and, and, and that whole lot of things underneath the covers to become adaptive, uh, is where this change stuff becomes such a big thing and, and requires so much, what we think requires so much upfront design work. Yeah. Okay. So the big consulting companies get brought in and, and that if I'm an executive at the company that needs to change, that's a pretty safe bet. It's like that nobody gets fired for hiring IBM kind of thing. Like I bring in one of those big consulting groups and that's something that the board's going to support. Everybody's going to support. We need to mm-hmm. do our due diligence and make sure we do this, you know, in the appropriate way. 
Um, but what, what are these companies missing that they could be doing that would better prepare them for success when they enter into these engagements? Oh yeah. Super question. And it, I've been facing the, the, the problem that I'll talk about in a second. Over yeah, and actually, over maybe you should start yeah. out by talking about how you've been on the, on the far end of this equation first. Yeah. Great. Great. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so whether it was back at Big Visible, where we were working alongside big consultancies as they introduced big plans for change or big initiatives, several hundred million dollar type of uh, product transformation initiatives or whatever, or it was um, in my time as an MD at, at Accenture, where uh, the my group, the, the the Solutions IQ group, the Agile practice within within Accenture was um, introducing agility along uh, as part of big change efforts. What we would see time and time again, and what I'd see time and time again, is uh, a corporate initiative of some kind, very, uh, lots of importance. It's about change, it's about transformation, about becoming digital or becoming more agile or whatever the words used that were more or less the same. And uh, uh, management consulting led initiative uh, coming up with a strategy for that company overall. Um, you know, again, oftentimes res- a strategy around cost-cutting or around right-sizing, some, something like this. And usually aspects of that overall strategy coming out of that, that initiative are, are things like operating model transformation. Yeah. Uh, move to more platformization and you'll have to do, become more agile and design a new op model. <laughs> and stop so, eating sugar. Yeah, yeah, big drastic stuff that sounds like it's just one line item on a piece of paper. Yeah, well, it starts there. It starts there. And then the question is, well, wait a minute, we've got product development and we've got IT and we've got marketing and finance and don't and and don't all those things have to change? And the answer is, yeah, all those things have to change too to do this. So you wind up getting into that next stage, which is this op model design stage, for lack of a better word, operating model design stage where... The future model is described from all of, potentially all of those perspectives. What are our business processes? How are we going to operate from a pro- software product development perspective? Other product development could be anything. And you know that's, that's potentially months and in some cases years of work to come up with the design of the future way of working and behaviors and processes and all these other things. And that's not even the hard part, right? Because the hard part's actually oh, yeah. closing the gap. I think that's the easy part, um, which is kind of one of the punchlines. I think it's really good to go to a reliable source and get some thought leadership, get some research, get examples of things that have worked. What are the frameworks that are coming out? What are the paradigms that are gaining traction and getting some results in in the big companies? I think that's valuable stuff. And coming up with the design, knowing what those things are and coming up with the design of the future op model and how you're going to operate and what processes we use. That's all valuable too, but that's not the hard part. It's pretty easy to come up with that stuff. Um, yeah. It's really, really hard to do it. You know, think about all that, all the, all the change that's involved in changing how you, you govern and what governance looks like, or what the obvious one is process. Cause agile's kind of started in the process space more than anywhere else. Um, behaviors of people, culture, how people lead. We have most companies have uh, layers and layers of managers who are used to managing things, managing, you use the word waterfall, managing the system that exists now. And we're, asking, yeah. we're trying to install a whole new system here. 
when you when those engagements finish, usually with a set of you know documentation and op model guidance and tools and other things, all that stuff usually is pretty good. I've looked at some of those the outputs from those engagements; they're pretty good. Um, you know, nicely put together, and and if they've done it, if they put good people on those on those engagements, then the outputs are actually quite quite high quality. But the problem is, is they're incredibly far away from where the people on the teams and in the functional groups are today. Yeah. So they look at all that stuff and say, I don't even know where to start or how to get here. And and more often than not, there's not even a plan to get there. So can I? I want to. This is I have like a parallel stuck in my head, and I want to see if mm-hmm. this resonates with you. Um, the company decides that everybody on everybody who works at the company is going to become 100% vegan and and they're all going to sleep 8 hours a night and nobody's going to work more than 8 hours a day but we're not going to change anything about how productive we are that's going to be maintained the whole time and now we're just going to have to go do that <laughs> but if i say to one person you've got to do it that's going to be really hard and i'm going to need a plan for that one person but if i multiply that by a thousand people Good luck. Is that, I mean, is that a, a fair parallel? Like that drastic a level of change without an explanation of how to get there and the fact that each part of the company and each person's going to need to find their own way? I think it is. And I think if you were to expand upon what it means to become vegan, I yeah. think folks who aren't vegan will also realize, holy crap, I didn't realize it's just about eating vegetables. Yeah. Uh, I was just thinking that there's going to be like the really, there's going to be the really snotty vegans that are going to be like the lean people who are looking down on all the like scrum level (laughs) vegans. That's right. And and so, yeah, I think it's a great (laughs) analogy, especially because of the unknown part. Um, Like I said a moment ago, it's pretty easy to come up to even do a Google search and get some examples of agile operating models or lean operating models of these processy sort of things. And role descriptions for a product manager or a product owner or whatever the case may be. Okay. Um, but it's not easy. You don't know all the things that aren't written in those things are the hard part. Yeah. How are you actually going to interact with other people? How do you deal with complex situations that don't fit the mold? Well, how do you um, change the way you interact with other people? Absolutely. Absolutely. All of these things make the, make the problem compound dramatically. It's, it's such a massive thing. So uh, getting back to the scenario that you started, yeah. the, the one that I've seen time and time again, those companies are left with this design. And it's good because we've got the, you know, the benefit is we've gotten executive leadership buy-in to, to uh, a new way. But what we haven't done is clarified exactly how to get there, how long it's going to take or how long it might take yeah. and gotten them ready for the fact that they haven't even begun. They're literally at the starting line. All we've done is take them to the starting line at that point. Yeah, you've given them the blueprint for the building, but you haven't taught them how to build the thing. Yeah, they have the picture for the racetrack, maybe. No, they yeah. don't have that because <laughs> they know that they're going to a race. Uh, yeah. And and we brought them to the starting line, maybe give them some uniforms if we're lucky and uh, you know the right equipment. And then yeah. uh, good luck. Yeah, Go figure, and, it and figure it out. Yeah, people figure it out. self-organize. They'll figure it out. How hard could it be? Right. So that, <laughs> which gets us to where we're usually brought in. Wave your like, hands you know, in the circle. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So we usually brought in and say, okay, now do the help do this. Um, now th- think about it for a second. If you are a big company, if you're any company and you spent millions of dollars and on years. that first part and years and years while all this change is going on and you're suffering from, from dec- uh, difficult new types of competition, yeah. whatever, regulatory change, the list goes on. You don't have a whole lot of patience right now. Now say, hey, you haven't even begun. And guess what? 
you spend some money to come up with those things, but it's going to cost a whole lot more for you to actually get there because the people on your teams don't have the skills to do that. Yeah. And the managers that you have are not, uh, the, you know, they haven't been developed in a way that they're going to be able to lead and manage this stuff. Yeah. They're waiting for the teams to change everything. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I think uh, you and I were chatting once and I'd love for you to share the, 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 the metaphor again, but uh, you were talking about like uh, looking at uh, like a Lance Armstrong in his peak form as what you're, what you're designing, but not the path to get there. I think that was, it was some sports, super healthy. Oh, uh, it was about person. the fat guy on the couch. It, that's right. Yes. <laughs> it's, the, it's the fat guy. I talk about this all the time. So there's most companies are like the big fat guy on the couch, living on Fritos and Dr. Pepper who watches a marathon and says, I'm going to run a marathon. And so we come in and we're like, dude, you can't just go outside and run a marathon. You're going to die. You got to go join a gym. So he kind of staggers down the street and walks into the Jira gym, gives it Lassie and a bunch of money, buys a new sweatsuit on the way home, sits back down on the couch and tells you it doesn't work. He still can't run a marathon. But getting him to go out there and walk around the block, that's like the hardest part. And then step by step, you've got to get there. Um, that's not I an love, easy thing. I love this analogy because um, it's so relatable on every level. I mean, how many people have joined uh, a gym, an orange theory or one of these other things yeah. or a Peloton is Peloton. a big thing. <laughs> Spend yeah. all that money on the Peloton bike. And then it sits there with like laundry draped over it. Exactly. It's the drying rack or whatever it might be. Yeah. Uh, I've done it myself. That's exactly what I'm talking about. So, and, and it's for these reasons that, that the personal training business and coaching business has, is a business is because yeah. of that. And that's not sufficient either, but the analogy is really good. So we've, we've sold companies when we do those big engagements to design a future drop model. We said, yeah, hey, if you become a marathon runner and can get to the point where you can run a marathon in under X time, uh, you'll, you'll be successful. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll- Life will be awesome. And life will be awesome. And, and here's what that looks like. It looks yeah. like, you know, it, uh, and we're describing the picture of the marathon runner, but, you know, the person is still on that couch with that, yeah. you know, a sack of potato chips or whatever it is. So I wanna, that's, that's the okay. problem. That's the problem. Literally, I'm, I, I, I'm diving into now and because we've had successes with solving many aspects of this. And there are, there are still some, there are still many to solve. Well, I want to talk about that in a second, but there's two things that I wanted to bring up. So one is that by the time you get there and they've got the laundry draped all over the Peloton bike and an ocean of guilt from having spent all this money on exercise equipment they're not using they're pretty burnt out already. So like the, the experience of going through that multi-year, you know, planning phase of how are we going to change by the time people show up to do the change. And we've talked about this before too. They're already tired of trying to, I mean, they feel like they've done it already because they went through the like theoretical part of it. And that can be fatiguing. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Is, is this why people, do you think that people are in the, like, when we get agile, like I'm going to be agile and then I'm, then I'm going to have this thing when I get the agile, like it's a merit badge <laughs> they're going to be awarded. Yeah. I think, I think there's not a lot in those, in those same endeavors. There's not a lot said about that too. Like, what do you expect to get and when, you know, we talk about the, the benefits, the life benefits you'll get it when you become a marathon runner, but what are the benefits you'll be getting along the way? And how do you get those? I think we skip all that, you know, we're selling the final package, which yeah, makes not sense. Not the sucky part in the middle. 
no, not how painful it's going to be, yeah. not the things. <laughs> no, and that's that's as painful and and masochistic as it sounds. Those are the problems I really love working on with managers because uh, you know I'll go into a company now and say, look, you know, we're ready to do this, but there's a lot of change here. So I'll sometimes bring in some of those really nasty, hairy situations they're going to get into when they start trying to operate this way. Yeah, and start working that right from the beginning. So when they're aware that hey, you can introduce some process changes to teams. But it's actually going to require a lot of behavior changes on their part too, yeah. Um, and so, so that we're starting to build that in from the beginning, so they're not surprised by it and just uh, react poorly later. So then you're talking about engaging. I mean, I know that when I first started doing transformation stuff, I'm assuming it was assuming it was the same for you. It was really going at the team level, but then there did seem to be this change where everybody recognized you can't just do that. You have to go to the executives mm-hmm. too. Yeah, that's shifted quite a bit. Uh, There's a lot more awareness now. I think, unfortunately, while there are some, actually, there are a lot of things that have been emerging from different um, areas, from different schools of thought and other things uh, that help more uh, with the management, with leadership, with executive leadership. Um, I think they haven't been pieced together very well. Um, You know, we'll hear about paradigms like... uh, growth mindset, which is awesome and, and yeah. radical candor, which is awesome in its way and, and complexity and leading in complexity. And, you know, the stuff coming from the, the former military leaders, uh, I'm one of those two uh, on like a uh, power of three and, and these types of things. And they're all great things. Um, it, it's such a huge number of things. It's really hard to make sense of that world and too. And hard say, you to know, learn about all of them. Oh my God, there's so many. And then, then apply yeah. them. Try applying radical candor in an organization where no one else understands that. Um, it's very, very difficult. You're going to get in trouble pretty quick. So, <laughs> but it, and it's great stuff at the same time. So this is why this work is very complex, um, yeah. but it's necessary and it's just overlooked. Um, that, okay. Yeah. So when it goes badly, like what's the, I'd like to talk about what happens when it goes badly and then what people can do to prepare it for success. So when it goes, yeah. when, when the big consulting company drops off the plan, how sideways can that go from there? Oh, it can go really, really, really sideways. You know, there might be a, a series of talks on the different ways it can go sideways. Okay. <laughs> because there are a bunch of them. I'm going to share a couple that, that come to mind immediately. Uh, okay. As being, I think, the most common ones. Uh, number one, I've seen a lot of in the last few years in particular, like I said, lots of money spent on this, this kind of upfront design of the future org and op model and process and product, project to product transformation and all these other things. But now we're getting started on doing it, or maybe teams and groups have been doing some amount of these things on their own, but now we have this, you know, approved kind of future op model stuff. Yeah. Um, if, if work hasn't been going on in parallel to start introducing those things and de-risk them, which is one of the strategies I'm getting to the, the end. Okay. Um, then you have such a, you basically built up a backlog of change stuff that you need to do. That's just overwhelming and significant so much so that it freezes. So failure one is having this big pile of stuff and no one knows what to do with it and now leaving them on their own to do it. Yeah. Just go change everything. Yeah. Just go change everything. Now here's the future op model go um, without, without uh, investing in a strategy for making the change. Mm-hmm. And not a big strategy. It's one that needs to consider what's successful about bottom-up change, what's successful about top-down change, and what's successful about enrolling middle managers 
I think that frozen middle is kind of the yeah. key to to making the change happen. But that's my own personal set of I things. I agree there. with you. Do Do you think that um, I notice like this is a smaller version of this, but mm-hmm. sometimes when I'm talking to people, you know, let's say it's somebody who's trying to become a scrum master or something like that, and there's a behavioral shift that has to occur, and they're like, "Well, how do I do it?" I'm like, "Well, you just do it." I can't. I can't remember. I mean, it was. I did solve this problem, but it was so long ago. I can't remember how I solved it. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's just sort of like you just become agile. And I think I feel like a lot of people on the agile side, once they've crossed over, they can't remember how they got there, and they just tell people, "Just figure it out." Um, Absolutely, you're getting to p- both uh, opportunity and problem too. Oh, good. Look at that segue. Yeah. Yeah, that was really beautiful because you reminded me, oh, that's the one I wanted to say next. Okay. Um, which is, yes, you and I learned by doing some of these things. Yeah. In a way, it's sort of fake it till you make it, right? But that that approach to developing new ways and behaviors is a, is a sound one. Um, the problem is when you don't really understand the reasons why the new method works and the new process works or the new skill works and you don't have good mentorship or guidance or something like that. Yeah. You wind up implementing it in some crazy way that doesn't actually get the benefits. Um, you know, the term, uh, what's the term they use? Uh, cargo cult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is a great, uh, that if you do a Google search for cargo cult, you'll hear, you'll get a story about world war two and, and how uh, people on, on the Pacific islands, once the military with its magical machines from God that were bringing, that were bringing food from the heavens when <laughs> and those Coca-Cola. people left <laughs> and Coca-Cola. Exactly. Uh, when, when the, when the, when the troops left and those vehicles weren't there anymore, they fashioned makeshift planes out of straw and out of yeah. twigs and things and, and hoped that the food would, would, would come back, start coming again. Um, it's a similar thing. If, if they if they don't understand the real changes that need to happen, you wind up having all sorts of kind of bespoke implementations, different ways of, of doing, you know, agile, does, agile's meaning loses its, agile loses its meaning. It doesn't yeah. mean anything. And, and we have the, uh, the scrum team that does standups, but it doesn't do anything else. And the 30 person team over here, and, and, we, and it, you don't actually get the benefits because all they've done is use the titles and use the, the names of things and apply them to the same old, same old way of doing things. More or I less. talked to somebody yesterday. He told me that at this company they, they work with that they had switched over to Scrum and started doing standups, but they had not formed teams, but they were working in sprints. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's, that's great. Right. <laughs> sounds, that's right. Sounds like a future client. <laughs> so this is, this is exactly what I'm talking about. And yeah. while I am very much not dogmatic, one thing I do believe is that for any of these frameworks or paradigms, I mentioned paradigms before, some of them were processed and some not. For any of them, uh, this, is, uh, this is where I like the work of a guy named um, Akoff uh, okay. from the systems thinking world. He talks about a system and how any, any system has essential properties. Without some one or more of those essential properties, the system just isn't, isn't that thing. Like a car is not a car unless it can transport you, uh, and there's a number of other properties. Right. Like, like I think any of these paradigms have essential properties. Do you have to be perfect at Scrum to do it well? No, but there are some things that if you're not doing them, you're really not doing Scrum. Yeah, um, like a having a team is probably one of those things. Yeah, uh, <laughs> re- yeah. doing a retrospective is probably yeah. one of those things. There, and and Scrum defines that well. And that's one of the keys I think to making the change work and not becoming just wild wild west is. What really, what is the essence of what we're talking about? When we talk about an agile team, we mean this and we don't mean this. 
It doesn't mean going to the nth degree and de detailing it out explicitly everything, but it does mean we, we expect the team's going to be iterating on some, some products and they're going to yeah. be testing it and they're going to be doing good quality work. And there's a few of those properties in there. So why do you think it is that organizations feel like when they, I mean, they, maybe they've done the big upfront thing and they've got this plan or this map. Um, and then they try to install Scrum or Kanban or some other variation with the idea that when that thing is in place, that's the, that's the end state. Like that's when we get, you know, all the things that we've been waiting for when that is really just a mechanism to get you closer to what you're aiming after. Like scrum is not the thing. Scrum is just a mm -hmm. set of tools to help you advance. But I think, I feel like people forget that they think that once we get scrum in here, then, you know, there will be trumpets and angels and cake and everything's going to be awesome. We all get a pony. Yeah, and, and you can replace the word Scrum with uh, Lean Anything, Startup yeah. or Safe or Lean or Design Six Sigma, thinking, whatever, yeah, whatever, whatever you want, any of yeah. these things, these kind of panaceas. Um, and the people who created them probably don't believe those things, and, but that's, that's what happens. This is, this is an example of what I mean by transformation being needed that's really fundamental. And okay. what I mean by um, most big companies have a whole management system and managers and leaders who, who think a certain way they've been trained and their experiences and develop and they've been developed and yeah. their experiences are such that they think this way, that it is, it is like a, you know, a, a structural or process solution uh, that, that will help us, uh, that will help us get what we want. Um, and, and it's exactly what I mean when I say uh, the work of managers in particular middle management um, yeah. is the biggest set of work in front of those who want to become really agile or digital or journey to cloud and really get the benefits, all of these things. I think that's the most important work is change that and say, you know what? It's uh, some people in the agile and product world use terms like from output thinking to outcome thinking. Yeah. This is sort of what I'm talking about. What's important is not that we run a ceremony really well. That's more like output thinking. What are the things that we do? Um, uh, it, it's more about outcomes. This team is able to change its plan really quickly based on changing market conditions or, you know, a new customer need right. that surfaces. That's an outcome when that's okay. a capability. So that sort of thinking is what we need people to do so that they don't go. Uh, uh, this type of thinking is exactly why, you know, a big consultancy can sell a multi-million dollar model design engagement because yeah. that the, People think that that is the solution. Um, it's part of it, but it can look different today. I don't think it needs to look like a multi-year thing. I think it could be done very quickly. In fact, um, to be quite candid in, in the, the, the times I've seen those engagements, the materials have been very sound, like I said. So there's some mm -hmm. value in, in vetting them and coming up with consistent things, but there is nothing novel in any of them that came out of any of them. It was all stuff that was, you know, that, that people can get for free. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it's sort of the, I, I think it's, you become like the curator of, you know, all those different practices mm -hmm. that you talked about, radical candor, all that stuff. You become the person that is saying, okay, this piece from here, this piece from here, yeah. this piece from here, put these together. This is the medicine that you need to fix what's wrong with you. That curation is really valuable. So that's, that's where I'll give those, uh, those, those efforts some credit. Okay. That curation is valuable, but there are some assumptions built into it that I, that I'd like to challenge. Like one is that 
that there's a one size fits all. I've seen, you know, some companies saying, oh, everybody should be Spotify and have chapters and these other things that it's still that same output thinking that same structure will solve the problem. And, and, and this structure works for everyone. Guess what? Every one of those methods, whether it's scrum and every, or, or XP or otherwise comes with its own pros and cons, its own challenges and benefits. Yeah. And they change in any particular context, any team context is they might be different, some more suited than others. Like, you know, my fa- one of my favorite examples, I work a lot with operations groups and security and things like that. And, uh, you know, the, it's really common for a company to say, oh, we love the scrum stuff or the safe stuff. So we want the whole company to do it. And they get to the operations group, which is handling single requests, you know, complaints from people and problems and, yeah. and vulnerabilities and whatnot. And they say, oh, do all these uh, planning meetings and retrospectives and stories now for everything. And guess what? It doesn't fit. Right. Um, now, if they're really, really, really inefficient, then it might be better than what they had before, but they need a slightly different answer. So I'll get back to where I, what I was originally saying, which is that it seems that that curation goes a little bit too far. What we should be doing is saying, helping what is good guidance versus bad and helping yeah. people apply the right things in the right context. When you do that, I think you're okay. And then people need, need help in actually doing that. How do I, instead of reading this book and doing everything in it, yeah. how do I apply the things that are going to help me and my team where we're at, which is the problem the bigger scaling frameworks have, like uh, like Safe and others. There's so much stuff there. People with the old mindset just want to apply everything that's in it and that think go south. Well, and they don't actually apply it true to the <laughs> nature of it. And also, I think if, if yeah. you sat down with Dean and asked him, he would tell you like, no, these this is not the only answer. These are just options. And you you modify this based on what what's going to be successful for you. I feel like that's one of the things that I'm struggling with is especially if it's an agile transformation thing. If the whole point of agile is to stop the big upfront planning and inspect and adapt your way through the problem, then why are we doing all this big upfront planning for organizational change? <laughs> and then That's right. just exits like the waterfall approach to agility or like eating fat to get thin. Yes, exactly. And, and this is where the, the principles are much more applicable and need to be applied to to lots of things to how we approach change. Big change doesn't make sense, you know. Big change the old way takes too long. By the time you're you're even done designing it, things have changed so much that it doesn't matter anymore. So you just waste yeah. all that time and money. It needs to be smaller. Okay. It can't be everybody do what you want. It can't be purely organic. Uh, maybe there are some. I can't say it can't. There might be some cases in which it can, but for the most part, a company. Uh, big companies aren't going to be successful with purely organic, purely ad hoc sort of change. I think there's a mix and depending on on the type of company and the type of business and the people and all that, more or less of either of those will will be the right thing. This is why, uh, you know, just going and following a framework. um, You mentioned SAFE and Dean, you know, that SAFE had its roots in some, some roots in agility and some roots in the rational unified process before it, which I was a big proponent of back in the day. Um, and that the rational unified process uh, is actually wonderfully customizable. It's all this learning about how to do well, originally good object oriented design yeah. and, and things like that, and and, and eventually Very a bigger thorough. methodology. Yeah, yeah, and it says everywhere in it you're supposed to take the stuff that that will help you. And they some of the founders even wrote a book called the Rational Unified Process Done Right, I believe, and they did a very agile process using what what was the rub, but they took a very bare bones version of it because that's what they needed. Yeah. Problem is, no one did that in practice. The reason why no one did that in practice, in my belief, is because again we had people, managers, leaders, all who were still thinking 
uh, in this very design it and do what the design says. So they see all that guidance says, well, I'm getting worried if I'm not doing this step over here, I better do that too. Safe experience is the same challenge. And it's yeah. not about safe. It wasn't about the rub. It's about the fact that people in their companies don't either don't have the, the space for it or the time for it or the skills or the mindset to be thinking about that and to be figuring out how, which of these pieces, it takes someone with expertise in the method and all the challenges to figure out what process, which parts of this process should we be doing? So that winds up being too much of a burden for people to do this. They wind up doing the whole thing. Yeah. I want to, I want to try to give an example of this. So if you think about a PMO in an organization that's mm -hmm. used to doing things in a traditional model, now when we switch over to agile and my team starts giving them burn down charts and stuff like that, they can't reconcile that with the program level reporting they have. They think they have to give to the executives. And even if the executives understand that the reporting is going to be different, nobody bothered to tell the PMO, you don't have to do things the same way anymore. And if they did tell them that, then that makes the PMO have to figure out like, oh, crap, how do we make this stuff work together? It's easy for you to tell me, go have a daily scrum and I can go do a daily scrum. But if you tell me I'm going to have to think about it and figure it out and adapt it and it's going to involve that level of engagement, that sounds like a giant pain in the ass. And it would be easier just to stay uncomfortable the way I've been for the last 10 years. Absolutely. You just shared a, a perfect example of what I'm talking about when I say we designed the future thing, but we haven't. Um, helped with the path to getting there. Yeah. A PMO is a structure and a process and a culture even that has been in place to optimize the company as it is right now. It works. It's part of the DNA of that company, the way it works, the way it lives, the way it thrives. Now, if you're, if you're introducing a different way via this agile virus, for example, or lean, right. it doesn't really matter which one you do. Now, that doesn't align anymore. There's work to do to reconcile that, should it should we eliminate the PMO? No, I don't think so. Not necessarily. I mean, I think you have all kinds of options in front of you. Right. Should should we uh, at the same time should we make it just the PMO's burden and now figure it out? Hey, may figure out how it works. Again, you have an option to do that. I think there are better ways than that because without changing the mindsets of the people in that PMO, they're just going to install other types of. Uh, governance and other things that right. looks like the same governance of the past. Is your story written in the in, in the tool? Mm -hmm. Check. Instead of, hey, what does governance look like? What does risk management look like in an agile world? It doesn't look like making sure your docs are in order. Right. It looks like, are we iterating? Are we understanding and learning from the customer? Is our quality high? Um, these are more outcome oriented. So I think that a successful PMO of the future is going to be also changing to look more about outcomes and capabilities. Are we achieving them? Than it is about the more traditional types of output things. Like, did you check off the box on all the, the uh, you know, the traceability and the, yeah. and the code check-ins and these other things and, and the uh, tasks, uh, how, how, and definitely looking at things like throughput, but these are more outcome things. And solving, um, solving new problems with new solutions instead of new problems with old solutions. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. But that's just one example of an existing aspect of many companies, of many systems Yeah, that needs to be part of the change too. And it's why it's so big. Um, it's very rarely part of the documentation. And when it is, unfortunately, I usually see the, the kind of the, the same the same, rather than getting people who are experts in the new ways to help design that with the PMO folks, it's usually what you said. So, hey, figure this out. So they'll just come up with a new check. So they haven't actually changed or improved the PMO. Yeah. They've just adjusted which things it's looking at. Which isn't really, I don't think anybody in the organization's fault, because if you only no. taught me how to use like spoons, 
and now you hand me a fork. I don't understand the fork. I don't understand why I'm supposed to have it. But now you tell me I'm supposed to use a fork instead of a spoon. I can't eat soup with a fork. So I don't know right. how to do that. And it's like we don't teach them how to use these things. We just expect them to figure it out. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so it isn't their fault. They're doing a good job based on what they've been asked to do. It's yeah. that we're, we're changing the game now and they need, they need everybody involved in that game needs to realize we're not playing this sport over here anymore. We're playing this new sport. And we have to talk about what that new sport is. And we also have to talk about how do we gradually or quickly change the rules and the measurement systems and the scoreboards and the, and the fan base and all these other things that have changed too. Yeah. Um, because they all do need to change. So, so let's expand that just for a moment and now say, okay, let's say even the PMO does a good job about that. What about the people who were the customers of the PMO's information, the executives? Right, there you go. And they were yeah. asking for, hey, what time, cost, co scope, how are we doing on the on, on our, uh, the, the, the reporting that they might've been used to every quarter was around completion of things. What are they, are they expecting something new now? Are they expecting to see what the teams are going to be giving them? Things around outcomes, things around achievement of other things. Now they might be better, but they're not going to be ready for it unless you're working with them as well. Yeah. And, and they don't know that they're supposed to be asking different stuff and looking at different stuff. I mean that, so yeah. it, where the thing that you were saying something earlier and what struck me was it's almost like what you're asking for is to rewrite the DNA or the genetic code of the company from the ground up. Like the way that leadership looks at everything they do, the way the company is structured on a deeply internal level. And that's not a process thing. That's a much deeper, I mean, you got to get oh, yeah. deeper inside people's heads. And that, to me, that's like that last mile has got to be the hardest part. Yeah. I actually think that's, uh, I think, uh, I think, when we talk about the other types of engagements, they've only gone the first mile and it's the rest that's in front of them. Yeah. So I do think, I do think it is what we're talking about here is modifying the DNA of companies uh, to be really transformative if we need to change significantly. Now, the question is, a one of many questions is, can we do that real time while things are going on? Do Or do we have to design a new thing and build it from scratch alongside or within or something like that. So this is another really interesting area. Um, mm -hmm. Can you do that? Can you change the DNF something that already lives? Uh, that system that already lives in this case. Because um, I've seen companies that have been making progress on that. It's really hard to do. I've also seen other modes, modes happen. Can we create a new ship over here? Yeah. Now on the new ship, you don't follow any of the rules of the old ship. None of them. And now we're building that and we're experimenting and we're learning about different behaviors and other things. And when something old seeps in there, we'll say, is this okay that it seeped in or not? If not, it gets out. We've got to kick it out because this is a new ship we're building. And then more and more people move over to this new ship. It's a, now this is a figurative new, new, new ship. It's not literally a new building necessarily, but you know, that can be done as well. well um, it's just one option, uh, uh, but it's, uh, you know, it's an interesting one because it might help a lot of companies. So that, that, kind of brings me back to something you were talking about earlier. So let's say that some somebody went out and built this new ship, right? So Menlo Innovations, Spotify for a while, they built the new shining example of the thing and everybody's like, oh my gosh, that's freaking awesome. We need that. Mm -hmm. But they're already, they already have their own ship. They've invested in this ship for a hundred years and then the board's going to be like, yeah, that new ship's pretty freaking awesome, but why don't you just turn this ship into that ship? Yeah, that that's that's what they that that will occur. So now this is this is where leadership 
needs to be really involved in making sense of these things as they're occurring. If you're following that particular approach, by the way, there are others. You can be changing the whole system as well if you're thoughtful about it, which is a whole other set of topics. But you're actually getting to get, getting to, to back to that. How do we change this existing one? It might not make sense. It might not make business sense for everything yeah. to move to that new where the new ways are the same. So we might have, uh, this is where the, the thinking around multimodal and stuff comes up, which I think is interesting, but it's, uh, it winds up being too simple or too, too, uh, you're either X or Y, you're either agile or not agile. I don't think, I don't think this, this is too easy an answer, uh, and results in all sorts of other problems, but how can you do that? So, yeah, I think it makes sense to want to change the, the big, existing ship right in some way now if uh but how do we do that let's be thoughtful about it what are the things that are changing that can actually make an impact in the existing ship um i'm working with one company right now that's doing this and they started this new group uh because they're moving more towards uh like platformization and and whatnot they've had products and some of them they built and some of them they acquired and and they're like well you know what we believe now that though these products have all done their own we actually have this opportunity to you know, to provide services to people that are more genericized based on this, you know, the capabilities, of the products that we originally had. Um, really common to want yeah. to do that. And so they're starting some new teams with new behaviors, new ways of working and all this other new stuff. And meanwhile, we have these other teams that are kind of doing, owning the existing systems. And like, what about us? Shouldn't we be able to improve too? And I think the answer is absolutely yes. Um, it's just a different, maybe at a different pace. And let's focus those change on the problems they're having. So yeah. I, I do like gradual change and I love making improvement, not about introducing safe for Scrum or then these other things, but rather about becoming more capable. What does more capable mean for this particular business unit or this particular group or even team? Yeah. Now, what can we bring in to solve that? Okay. If it turns out on a particular team or in a particular group that they need something significant, like a real significant way of working change, like introducing Scrum is a pretty significant change if they're yeah. traditional, if they're waterfall then let's do that. But making it thoughtful, making about the outcomes we want to achieve, not about introducing the process. And so now we have a complex program of change. We might have different kind of bets we're making on change. There's one bet here, which is that entirely new culture and way of working is going to be effective. Why? Because the nature of that business model is such that it needs to be incredibly adaptive. It can't be mired down in the governance we have in the rest of the organization. And managing risk is something that was done a different way, but yeah. do that in that bubble there. Now we have our existing business, which still needs to be run, but it needs to be a little leaner or maybe even a lot leaner. That winds up just being a slightly different approach to change within that group. Let's always focus it though on outcomes and capabilities. Okay. So figuring out the right mix of that is, is, is squarely the work that I do now. All right. So you have more, you have more of these problems, a couple more, right? And then we're going to, after we finish the problems, we're going to show you how to avoid them. <laughs> So it's not yeah. just that we're showing the car wreck, we're showing you how to not get in the car wreck, but go ahead. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, we, so we started with uh, the first one, which is just design upfront problem. Uh, that was pretty obvious. Then uh, another one is there's not a clear path. We talked about that. Without that clear path, we wind up having a lot of groups just doing what they think that document says, what they think that model should be, what they think Scrum or Agile should be. Yeah. When they do that, they start developing a new meaning for those words. Now, two, two big problems <laughs> with this is, one, in, there's no consistency. Like, uh, you know, Agile means uh, a, a Scrum meeting, a 15-minute meeting every day over here and nothing yeah. else. And, and then over here, it means something 
you know, completely different. And, and you wind up having, having a situation where teams can't make sense of each other. And they're actually probably just doing the same thing they always used to do, but with new names that actually make it harder to get information from anybody. So it winds up being worse than you were in the first place. I'm laughing because I'm thinking of all the places I go with like, hey, we're totally agile. We switched to squads. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> My personal favorite one, um, and I, this is still a problem actually, is when I have a first conversation with someone who says, yeah, we're agile. We're using Jira. Yeah. Or you know, the first thing goes to what tool they're using to track their things, which is the, the last thing I want to hear about if you're... Yep. Yeah, that's, you know, I know that there's all sorts of challenges. When I run into Which that, isn't yeah. a diss on Atlassian. It's just the fact that people buy, they buy the thing and they think it makes them different. Atlassian's an amazing company. And yeah. so it's a, it's a, you know, testament to their success that the, 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 the word is so well known. So good job. Atlassian. Yeah. I, <laughs> shit. Uh, you know, I've seen great implementations of Jira, but the, what I'm talking about here is, are these people agile or not? Which is a different question. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and by the way, agile or not doesn't mean anything to me. Is it's more a matter of how agile you're. There's no such thing as zero agile except for when you're in the grave. Um, that is when you're completely not agile. Uh, I don't. I want to pick a fight on you. I would say that the people that tell me they're already agile, they're done. That's zero agile. When you've achieved yeah, a level of agility okay. that you don't need to change anymore, and you're an expert in this, like you've you've achieved enlightenment, and you're going to go get a sandwich now, you're done. You're not agile. I want to, and I want to offer that, uh, that to converge us a bit and say that the only situation in which that statement is true is when you're in the grave. There you go. See that? We came together. That's good. Yeah. I love it, but you're <laughs> right. So we need to challenge ourselves with more agile. And, um, and, uh, and then, like I said before, the terms need to mean something though. That, that essential property distinction is a powerful one. What is really essential about this that we can call it scrum or that we can call it design thinking, whatever. Yeah. Design thinking is not a, a framework on a mural, bo a mural board. It's a, it's a way of looking at problems and solving problems together using a, a designer's mindset and, and tools and other things, Yeah, et cetera. Okay. Anyway, so uh, that was one. Yep. The other one I wanted to mention, and there are a lot of these, but these are the ones that come to mind immediately, is the just in IT one or <laughs> the just in this group one. Um, I, I like to call it, I only smoke crack on Saturday. <laughs> Tell me more about that. <laughs> well, you smoke crack or you don't, right? You can't oh, just see, do agile in IT. You have to, it's going to affect the rest of the company. <laughs> as a non-drug person, I wasn't familiar with it as much, but I get it now. <laughs> well, wait, now I'm the crack smoking guy. Thanks, George. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I don't know whether or not you do. No judgment. But no judgment <laughs> at all. Yes. So it sounds like a good analogy. Um, the just an IT thing. So, you know, when it's something that's just an IT, you're teaching a new way of working and new behaviors and a new culture to just one group, they will be, it'll be much more difficult to work with other groups then. You might get some improvement out of it for sure, but this stuff, uh, it needs to, uh, uh, like a great example of doing this is one of those, uh, I'll combine two stories, the big design upfront effort, you know, big strategy engagement to come up with the op model of the future. Here it is. And here are all the new roles and, and baked into that new op model is, oh, if it, this is a company where there's a big IT organization, maybe it's not a, a product company, it's a, a different kind of company. And they have a big IT organization that develops all their software and then they have the quote unquote, the business, which is basically the running all of their business yes. and their operations. And uh, now they, they've come out of this method and said, here is the new 
uh, IT operating model. And all of these roles over here that you see with the word product in front of them, product manager, product owner, whatever, those roles are you guys. You yeah. got to fill them. Now, they haven't enrolled any of these folks. They haven't helped figure out how close are the people in the quote unquote business to filling these roles of being capable of it. They've just said, here's the model. I've, I've literally seen this in, in quite a few big, very successful organizations. And I can't believe that, that, that more design wasn't put into it, into dealing with this problem. It's not the consultant's fault. The consultants work with who that customer is. So, uh, well, it kind of is, because I think they have a responsibility to bring it up. But anyway, that's neither here nor there whose fault it is. The point is, this is one of the things to avoid, because it'll just result in massive delays and problems, similar to the ones before. Those yeah. people have full-time jobs. Is it always a business person who should be a product owner, product manager? No, I think that's an un, uh, unnecessary generalization uh, and probably a problematic one. Yeah, to uh, me, there would be like when people say that the project managers become scrum masters. I mean, some project managers same. are horrible scrum masters. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Those generalizations I find to be really dangerous. Uh, instead, let's talk about what is what does a product manager or a product owner need to do, and who do they, what do they need to be like, and let's see which people are like that. <laughs> but that's hard, <laughs> that's George. I know it's hard. You can't read a checklist, huh? I mean, well, that's the that's. I think this is where people get a little fatigued. They're like. Oh God! Like, can't we just? It's just faster. Just have the HR move them over. Yeah. Uh, so, and if the reality were that it it should, if it should be that way, then it should be automatable by a script, and that person shouldn't have a job. Yeah. So there you go. And the reason why I believe managers have jobs is because they have to do difficult things like this. But now again, to a separate maybe, topic of what is the manager job? <laughs> well, maybe the people like that are slotting folks into other roles without even talking to them just to give them the benefit of the doubt, maybe they're doing that because nobody explained to them why, like, you know, every action you take, you should approach with like, you know, conscious intent. Like, why am I doing this thing? What is the reason for it? And if you did that with that level of care, maybe it would help you not just slide people across into another job title. Um, you'd actually put some thought into it. Maybe I couldn't agree why. with you more. Yeah. Couldn't agree with you more. And you're, you know, you're introducing another distinction, like we talked about before. There's all these great distinctions coming out from the leadership and change world. You know, the starting with why stuff. I think it was yeah. Simon Sinek, I believe. Yeah. Um, yeah. But any purpose-driven organization, all of these things are really powerful, really good. And you're right. Our, like I said before, we have management cultures and systems of managers and, and, and populations of managers and leaders who simply haven't been developed that way. And that wasn't important. Yeah. Uh, and we need to rectify that. Uh, that's the, I think, like I said, in the beginning of this talk, uh, I think the biggest amount of work is with, with that management, the management layers between teams and, and uh, the top executives who tend to be visionary and not have to do that sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. So we've outlined a lot of reasons this is going to go horribly mm. badly. Um, <laughs> so if, I, if, I'm, if I'm like an executive and I'm listening this far, I'm pretty depressed right now. So what can you do <laughs> to make these people feel better? Are there things you can suggest to them that would enable them to be better prepared, either coming into the big consulting <clears throat> firm engagement or coming out of it to make this stuff more effective or make it work better? There are a lot of things. And if I listed all of them, I'd probably be listing be a all really the things. long ass podcast. It would, it would, it would. And I'd be describing the work that I do all the time. So I'm going to give a few of them that are more kind of bite-sized, at least on the surface, they're bite-sized. Okay. Cool. If nothing else, it'll give you something to think about and start doing. Cool. Number one, if you're in 
a transformation initiative that is focusing a whole lot in designing the op model of the future. Like, like we said before, there's some benefit to that. But if you're not de-risking that thing actively, the longer you go without actively de-risking, and I'll talk about that, that means in a moment, um, the more risk you're piling up in a big bundle of wrongness. Okay. Uh, because it's good to come up with general good process guidance, not model guidance. But in every context, it's going to be tweaked. It's going to be a little bit different. And because the more stuff you put in there, the farther away that deliverable is from where people are today, they're not going to know what to do with it. It's yeah. going to be too hard to do. Okay. That's recommendation one. By de-risking, how do we do that? Well, let's start taking aspects of this and vetting it. There, there are, um, you know, we've learned a lot of stuff in the lean startup world around experimentation. There are different experiments we can, you know, we can bring people through tabletop exercises. That's a lightweight, low cost test mm-hmm. and say, how would this work in your environment? What are some of the challenges? And that was one of the things we did bring into one of the engagements I was thinking of. We, we at least said, okay, that thing's moving along. Keep going. You spent a lot of money. You got to get some great deliverables out of it. Go ahead. Can we start a de-risking thread where we're starting to vet some of these ideas to see what we might run into when we're delivering this thing at the end, when you guys are delivering that design at the end? And that actually wound up being helpful. So that's one thing you could do pretty easy and low cost. Can I I ask a question about this? So just to clarify, when you're talking about de-risking, like testing something out using a lean startup approach, this isn't about it's right or it's wrong. It's about what happens when. Right. When I introduce um, it could this be, change, it could be either. I just want to yeah. see how people react to it. And that's going to give me information that will help me design the better solution to try tomorrow. Yes, it could be that. It could be about the former thing too. Uh, okay. you know, when I think of uh, uh, experimentation, I think of what possible hypotheses I have. And, and I like the, the, the guidance from Lean Startup on what are my riskiest assumptions? Yeah. What's my riskiest assumption about this idea of changing process or changing the org structure? A real, a real example. We're talking, we're putting a lot of um, weight in this product manager role that we never had before. It's a real okay. example. Yeah. We, you know, we're, we're relying a lot on this future role. Do we even have people who would be able to, who have the skills to do that stuff? Or not? I, I run into that uh, twice a week. Product managers, product owners who don't even understand their job. Yeah, exactly. Great example. So now if I go and I test and I say, oh, given, given these are the things you need to do, who do we have to do that? Yeah. Um, run into it. I run into it all the time too. And if you're designing that in, and by the time you're actually done with this new op model, you'll have a huge amount of stuff to make that happen. And if your executives, the leaders, the people who have paid for this are expecting you to now change your op model and deliver upon this new model that has that's kind of making promises about what it will and won't be capable of doing. And you don't have that role. You're going to be in big trouble. So now from that experiment, maybe we learn really quickly, Holy crap, we don't have a lot of this. What's our next hypothesis. So we know we don't know it, but we know we need it. Is there a way, could we develop it? Are there some people who have a certain set of skills? Do I now believe that a person with this set of skills and personality attributes and other things and knowledge could be good at this. Well, let's test it. Let's try it in this group here that really might need it. So now we're actually starting to potentially introduce these things rather than talk in different ways of testing. We can talk about it. We can actually give it a pilot, you know, pilots another kind of test Yeah. Um, and see how it works. And now while that design is going on, we could be trying it out. We could actually be starting to make the change happen. And 
we could be um, informing if, you know, if they're open to it, informing the continued design and say, you know what, this doesn't work. Let's change it. Yeah. Um, in the situations where I've been able to try to do that, get, get approval to do that. Uh, that's worked tremendously because we were able to make changes while the big thing is coming up with its design. Yeah. Cool. So that's okay. another thing that's that. So that's, that's the kind of test and de risk yeah. lots of methods and ways to do that. And, but the point is while you, while you're coming up with your, your hypotheses about how to operate in the future or how to organize what behaviors you need, let's start trying some of that stuff and see if it actually has the results we want. If it actually tackles, if we have the problems that we're assuming we have even, uh, when we're, when we're pulling those things in, et cetera. Cool. Okay. One, uh, number two, leaders and managers, leadership and management, there needs to be an active thread on what does this change mean to leaders and managers? So, uh, how do you test whether you have this? Well, one is, uh, I mean, obviously, is there anything that involves leaders and managers other than the, uh, the, the you know, the steering committee to which, that this effort is reporting. Um, our executives, uh, our senior, I'll talk about senior leaders and I'll talk about middle managers. It's an overgeneralization of the layers. But by senior leaders, I'm meaning executives, you know, maybe SVPs and above, that these are these are the stake, that the top stakeholders are approving things and setting visions and such. And everybody else I'm calling middle managers from senior managers all the way on down to above the team level. That middle management, we often call it as the frozen middle in some companies. Yeah. Um, are there active efforts going on for those people to do some work. Literally, not, I'm not just talking about agile for managers. That's yeah, just yeah. the beginning, if anything. I'm, I'm talking about literally working threads of work going on that are about preparing them for the new. Uh, and actually, I, the, the stuff I do with managers is, is I, uh, I guess for lack of a better word, it's called environment design. How can we start enrolling managers into designing environments where those new models will be successful. What are those teams going to run into? That's not going to match. What is that? You know that PMO report that that uh, they'll no longer be optimizing the uh, utilization of developers. They'll be optimizing different things like throughput. How how much stuff did we get done? And, and customer outcomes. Those are different things. Managers working on things like that and building their own skills, like like you were saying. Uh, also within this manager space. So how do we develop some of those? those leadership skills like for product management, for product ownership, um, identifying the misalignments with other functions, you know, as our budgeting function aligned with this way of making decisions. For HR, our, do we develop people in this way? Is our performance management aligned with this? All of these other things. And I think, so that's number two, make sure well, that they're- I, yeah. I want to say something about this. You, you sparked an idea in me that I've never, I don't know, I'm grateful for what you said because this is really interesting to me. When we switch a company to agile, management always wants to know, like, how many teams have been trained? What's their velocity? Why isn't their velocity more? Like, they want to hold teams accountable for becoming agile, and they're looking for these lagging indicators, which don't really tell them anything <laughs> anyway. But yeah. nobody does that to management. Yeah. There's no I do metrics. It to I want to know how these yeah, you, it sounds yeah. like you're doing it, but there, but there, there aren't usually metrics where management is proving to the rest of the company look here's what we're doing to change which i think would, it's a, that a would go so far in terms of building goodwill and a transformation i agree with you i think it would be phenomenal um maybe we have a side thread to do something because i think we can with a little bit of time we can come up with something really powerful yeah. there um 
The problem is now that this is really interesting because I do, since the work I do is primarily about change, it is about all these agile and lean things and all that stuff and skills and whatnot, but it's the hardest part. The reason why I'm needed at all is about change and consider, consider changing how a manager is evaluated and considered by their stakeholder, by their more senior levels of managers Yeah. from, you know, did I, did I check the box on these projects and am I reporting things well? Am I setting people into roles and all these coordinating things to, did I actually have make an impact, which is a much more nebulous thing. Yeah. What impact have I had? Um, I have a personal thing, which I'm talking about is what, what, what uh, existing structures and processes have I improved or changed that are no longer in alignment. Now, if we're measuring that now we're getting interesting, but it's a very, it's a difficult thing for someone to sign on to because it's, it's hard. Yeah. And the uh, but that's vague. what I want managers to be evaluated yeah. with. So I'm agreeing with, you. I think we should. Cool. All right. Well, thank you for, I got, that was awesome. <laughs> All right. Number three. Last one. Um, this is about avoiding the just in my area, whether it's only in it, which is the worst one, I think. Yeah. Um, or it's just in one group and not the others. If you're doing this stuff, doing a transformational change in a business unit or in a particular group, I get that and we should do that, but we have to also have a thread that's talking about the greater system, the bigger organization and saying at a minimum, what is it doing? Is it transforming the bigger system? Maybe not, but at a minimum, it's saying what the heck is going on in this one business unit? And what needs to be going on to make sure that that is that the bigger system allows that business unit to thrive? Yeah. There, it, in a way, this is the same as number two, because it's technically the managers who should be doing this, just more senior managers. Um, literally, it's how do we take the stuff that we're doing and learn from it in this one business unit or this one group and decide, hmm, should we be doing this elsewhere? Uh, or even if not, what needs to change for us to, for, for those new behaviors, for that new process, the new way to thrive. And otherwise this is exactly what, what causes the, the common transformation, you know, initial excitement and buzz and everybody wants to be part of the cool kids over there in that group because they're agile and lean and design thinking or whatever else it is. Yeah. Uh, and then eventually to plateau and regress is because we're not doing this work because the, it's trying, you know, we're, we're trying to drive, cars on, on muddy roads that haven't been paved yet. So this sounds to me like we can't see how it would fit sort of like when people say, well, you can only use scrum and software. And so, well, I mean, maybe that's not true. And maybe the organization, this thing that we found works here could apply in other parts of the organization, but maybe we have to change their shape a little bit for it to work. Right. Absolutely true. Um, I, I also know that Scrum doesn't just work in software, as you got, as you know too. And those, con- but those conclusions are the ones that happen because yeah. of this problem. Yeah, because of I mean. this problem. So that's what you're saying. So yeah, I totally yeah. agree. Um, now, uh, I also think that that um, there are a whole bunch of other answers for different types of contexts. Like Scrum is wonderful when you have a team that together needs to come up with some stuff in a complex environment. Yeah, like build a product together. Um, you know what? Not as good a fix for a, a context in which it's not really about a team coming together to build something together. Yeah. Uh, it's more, it literally is more individual type of work. I think there's a better way to optimize that type of system. Uh, you know, more lean, the lean world comes with these sort of things. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but 
Uh, you're right. I think that oftentimes we say, you know, Scrum doesn't work here, whether it's in a different function or it's a different uh, team. Oh, Scrum didn't work for us. Yeah. Well, the reasons, the reasons why are probably not about Scrum. They're probably about the things that exist in that that uh, didn't allow it to that that needed yeah. to change. And it doesn't have to be Scrum. I was just using that as an example for anybody. Listening. It's a great example. It's a great example. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's my third one. Lots more, but we can maybe do other other talks on those. Yeah, we we've <laughs> we've gone a little long on this one, which I <laughs> I don't care. I I've, I've had a great time talking about this, and I'm super appreciative of you sharing your brain for this. Um, if people want to reach out to you to, to dig into this stuff further, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Uh, you know what? Just reach out on LinkedIn. I think is the best way to get connected. Okay, cool. I will make sure to include a link to your stuff there. Um, George, thank you very much for this. Dave, my pleasure. I'd love, uh, I love we'll these. We'll do more. I'd love to do more. Yeah, yeah I'd love definitely to do anytime. more. Cool. Anytime. All right. Thanks, man. You're welcome. Welcome.